0: If you love all things gardening, why not join us at our Spring Fair from the 3rd to the 5th of May at Bewley in Hampshire. You'll find everything you need to kickstart the season. Find out more at bbcgardenersworldfair.com. See you there! Hello and welcome to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast, brought to you by the team here at the magazine. Join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's favourite experts.
2: As parents, grandparents or friends of those of children, we all want to pass on a love of gardening to the next generation. And even better if we can help kids learn at the same time. Hello, I'm Miranda and welcome to this episode. Today I'm inside the garden of Forest School teacher Jamie Johnson and joined by two of her children, Rowan and Amelie, aged 4 and 12. I'm here to find out how we can use gardening to support learning in fun ways. I started by asking her, does she think
1: gardening helps children's development? Oh, massively. Um, I think, you know, some children just can't access the curriculum as it is in the classroom. Um, and about half the curriculum is sat at desks doing those core subjects, maths, English, history, and it's a lot of writing. And some children just aren't built for that. And I think that some children where in the classroom they play a certain role or have certain behaviours that are difficult or, or as difficult you get them outside and suddenly they're leaders they're directors of play they're creative they're in charge they've got all all of this confidence and i see that all of the time it's quite astounding actually how children are quite different for me outside um, compared with sort of their their form teachers experience of perhaps their behavior indoors
2: and later on your two of your lovely children are going to be demonstrating some projects yes.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: do you find it sort of brings them out of their shell is it a, a different child to the child that sat there doing sort of written homework
1: i think it's it's chance to it's, particularly with Emily, who's older i think it's chance to stop and breathe there's so many expectations and pressures on them and i think actually you might see this later i think you know she'll be looking for that kind of reassurance am i doing this right is this the right way of doing it because they're just constantly told that they've got to have the right answer or tick the right box and I I think with something like gardening it is very creative you're outside you can make a mess you can get your hands dirty um so for me that's the main thing it's letting them know they can make mistakes
2: yeah yeah I think that's key isn't mm. it you know we're not looking for perfect gardeners mm. we're looking for getting stuck in aren't absolutely.
1: we? absolutely and you you learn that way in gardening that's the way that you learn oh we're all still learning absolutely aren't we? <laughs> we'll never be done <laughs> never be done and what are
2: the key things you think that helps parents and teachers or guardians anyone that spends time around children what It's helpful for them to know if they want to get kids out gardening.
1: So firstly, I think enthusiasm. And I think particularly in schools, I think I feel sorry for schools. They haven't got the budget to afford, you know, not all schools can employ a gardening teacher or a forest school teacher, most can't. So I think you do need teachers that have got that little bit of subject knowledge in the area, in gardening and in outdoor education. Um, So I think it's bringing that passion and enthusiasm because you might need to pop into school to water things so that they don't all die over the holidays. So it's having somebody willing to do that and actually um, allowing schools to pay for people to do that as well. But also I think it's just having a little bit of base knowledge. So things about the season knowing when to sow things you know don't sow all of your seeds outside in March because they're all going to die they're not going to survive the cold um, it's things like knowing that with carrots you want to sprinkle them directly you're not going to have success putting them in a pot and the children will be disappointed so I think it's just a little bit of base knowledge goes a long way and then it's exploring together with the ch- with children
2: So do you think we're sort of not setting ourselves up for failure if we just start with really easy, easy stuff.
1: Absolutely. Quick I think growing. Absolutely. Start with the chunky seeds, things that grow uh, flowers and pods. So things like beans are great. Children love to pop the pods open and find the seeds inside. I think you can create all sorts of structures with them. So at my school garden, currently we're building a bit of a tunnel for our runner beans so the children can go through and get covered in spider webs and pick all of the pods <laughs> that I don't want to go down and reach. So I think it's, it's yeah, being creative with, with plants as well. I mean, lots of the feedback I have have from children um, is that they want to see things come to fruition they don't just want to chuck a load of seeds in and then nothing happens with it they want to see it in the kitchen in the school kitchen being served up for lunch they want to see that what they've done is actually really benefited um they want it to be real they don't want it to be for the sake of it they you know they want to see it from start to finish and that's that's the feedback that I get time and time again from children
2: so what are the best plants for parents and I, I guess we're talking about primary age aren't we you yeah know? yeah
1: so definitely so things like beans are fantastic they're fun they're chunky you know you can't go wrong with them they grow really tall really fast so children are seeing that instant effect things that grow tasty things that children want to eat so like strawberries raspberries are really great they're perennial so they'll come back time and time again Um, if you want to grow flowers things like nasturtiums. We're growing a nasturtium later with Amelie. So growing nasturtiums are great. You can eat the whole thing. It's very safe. The seeds, again, are nice and tactile. Um, and yeah, the, the children can sprinkle the flowers on their salads and that sort of thing. And actually, I always say salads and lettuces are really good because you can just keep sowing loads and loads of seeds and have a bit of a cut and come again. Um, and again, they're quite a quick turnaround. So the children can sprinkle the seeds and before they know it, they've got a whole salad bowl there ready for picking.
2: And there must be a lesson when things go wrong. Absolutely. And it is important. You know, as I say,
1: mistakes are great. I always say yeah. mistakes are great. Um, and, you know, quite often with weeding, that's where things can go wrong. And they, oh, you've just pulled up all of our parsnips. Um, but, you know, that's back to that observing and identifying again, isn't it? I think it's getting children to recognise these plants. Um, so many kids now can't, you know, can't recognise plants or birds or insects. And I think actually all of that observation and taking time to make mistakes and have a look and, and just having the space to do so. They just don't get that chance every day. So
2: any tricks for getting reluctant kids outside gardening?
1: Making it fun, growing things they want to eat is really important, I think. You know, if you're just going to grow cabbages, <laughs> they might lose interest quite quickly. So as I say, things that are fun. Berries. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you won't ever get them into your house. You know, if you grow peas, that's it. You'll never, you'll never have a crop of peas, but you will keep your kids outside. So yeah, that's my top, my top tip. Grow things that they want to enjoy once they're here. Absolutely.
2: And do you think there's enough gardening's gardening at schools? You've mentioned this. Is there enough of it on the
1: curriculum? I mean, there isn't, and and studies show that there isn't. Um, and I think current research shows that there's about thirty three pence per pupil in the average uh, state school in the UK to spend on gardening, which which is just not enough a year. Uh, I believe so I believe so um, and it's, it's just not enough 33 pence per, per child is not enough so I think it does need funding I think schools can only do what they can do with the budget they've got and the time that they've got you know coming from a teacher there is no time to go outside and do the weeding and do the watering so you do need that extra help so I, I do think that that sort of having that budget and, and having a top-down approach you know the powers that be need to know that's important so that teachers and schools are supported in providing the resources and providing the time on the timetable for the children to spend outside growing um, and not all schools have got space to do it so no you do have to get creative thinking about growing in pots and that sort of thing as well Um, but again it's just having the time and space to do so which is really tricky
2: and you know we're both parents Mm. and i know you know i i would much rather my child learn to read and write than to be out gardening i mean that's the reality isn't it but can it cross over?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've kind of gone full circle on this. You know, I'm a massive fan of phonics. You know, I think it's brilliant and with flashcards and stuff. But actually, there's other ways to do it. And, you know, making little labels on pebbles. We can measure how tall a bean might grow using bricks. That's sort all of really little ones. Counting out how many seeds we need in a pot. Um, there's loads of ways to bring maths and English outside and outdoors. And actually, it's, it makes it really relevant for children. So they're going to absorb it much quicker than just on a piece of paper or a flashcard.
2: And I think the sympathy is there. You know, we've both taught primary education. We both know the pressures. Everything that's going on in schools and teachers, it's really, really hard. Oh, it's tough. um, To cover everything and to be supporting the children Mm -hmm. and all their different types of Mm -hmm. needs um, with increasing pressure and decreasing budgets, which Mm -hmm. is a big picture we can't Mm -hmm. do anything
1: about. Mm -hmm.
2: So do you think kind of doing things at home, what about families that don't have gardens? Is there any projects they can do.
1: Absolutely I mean teaching in Oxford I've taught lots of children that don't have access to a garden space so absolutely growing in pots teaching them that you can grow I mean you can grow chilies and tomatoes and things on your windowsill you know it doesn't need to just be um, small things you can grow much bigger things as well um, as long as there's enough light so we do loads of pot growing as well um, and I think actually you know you're, you're starting off seeds inside anyway and it's just continuing then and looking after the plants it's there it's accessible um, for children so definitely pot growing and I'm really careful when I'm teaching not to just say oh you can go and do this in your garden because actually lots of children don't have gardens Um, so yeah absolutely a big fan of container growing container gardening
2: and can you teach sustainability
1: and healthy eating as part of all this? I guess it sounds obvious, but are there ways that you incorporate it successfully? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, again, having something like a cut and come again salad, you'll get children that will be tasting things they wouldn't know. If you, pre- if you presented it to them in a bowl, they wouldn't want it. But if they're allowed to go and pick <laughs> some themselves, oh my gosh. I mean, the, the chives at school, they've, we've had to, I've had to ban them from picking because they just keep picking the chives and, you know, enjoying it. Um, there's just something so tactile and sensory about being in a garden and smelling everything and picking things yourself, you will get children who wouldn't, you know, would refuse a salad or a vegetable on a plate, mm-hmm. but will happily walk around the garden picking things that they want to enjoy, things that they've grown and that they're proud of as well. So, no, absolutely, I think it really, it really plays a good role. And children need to know where their food comes from. I think just on that basic note
2: And has there been any evidence about the impact of gardening on
1: children's development that you're aware of? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was. I think there was a report done a few years ago. The takeaways are that children aren't moving enough they're not eating enough fruit and veg and they're not doing enough gardening in schools. So I think actually if we can really focus on those things, that that's where the gaps are. We can close that. I mean, we've just had lockdown, haven't we, where children, some children then haven't been well, out. It feels like a while ago now. And it does, it does. <laughs> but you know, there are children that yeah. are, are now, you know, five, six and seven that have actually sort of, you know, they've grown up in that, up, in yeah, that yeah. environment and some of those children won't have had a garden to enjoy over those two years of, yeah. of being stuck at home. So I think those children, you're starting from scratch and you might be starting from scratch with a seven-year-old who's never seen a plant growing. In, you know, in its natural state outside. So I think um, I think it's really important to close that gap, actually. It's just as important as the core subjects on the curriculum. I mean,
2: I know from when I did community gardening and after-school gardening clubs, oh, gosh, we've got a lovely aeroplane. <laughs> <laughs> Flight <laughs> path here <laughs> in Otherwise, <October. laughs> it is lovely in your garden. Thank
1: you. Um, it's usually quite peaceful.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I, I remember um, children's behaviour. You know, obviously, as a teacher, you are dealing with a range of different behaviours. Mm. Do you have any examples of where you've seen uh, gardening benefit children with behaviour
1: challenges? Oh, absolutely. And as I say, you know, at the beginning, there, there are children that just can't access the classroom in the traditional okay. way and we we do have to work around that we you know we, we have to teach the individual and for you know it can't be done all the time in the classroom so I think my job and I love that that's my job and I'm very privileged to be able to get them outside and get them working with their hands get them, keep, muddy. Get them muddy get them dirty some children need to feel to be able to learn they need that sensory input as well um, and the classroom is quite a sterile environment I think if you're outside you've got the the weather the cold you know the wind they can feel that against their skin sometimes children just want to sit and chat and actually they don't have time to chat chat and language development is so important quite often children will come and have all sorts of deep and meaningful conversations with me because again they don't have time or they aren't allowed because they've got to get on with their work understandably in the classroom so I think um, you know allowing them a chance to be outside and not think sometimes is just as important as being outside and thinking it's space to breathe space to be themselves
2: and we, as we get into 11, 12, you know, we, we get into quite challenging conversations with children sometimes. Do you find, you, you've got you've got a 12-year-old, and I don't mm. mean to ask you specifically, mm-hmm. but being out in the garden, is it a nice opportunity to have sometimes sensitive,
1: Definitely. private conversations? It's that thing of like being in the car, isn't it, when you're driving, and that's the time <laughs> to have the sensitive conversation. And I think gardening does that as well. You you know, you can be busy, you can be looking at what you're doing, and then just side by side, alongside somebody, right. having, a, having a conversation. I mean, I see this in my, in my job as a forest school teacher um, and a garden teacher. You know, all the time, children and adults, yeah. you find they really open up outside. They relax. They feel they? safe, you know, they, they they want to share, and I think it's a really good time to. Because you're doing something with your hands, it takes the pressure off the conversation. So it just it just flows. And I think children really do benefit from having that opportunity.
2: And um, I've noticed Rowan's bag of Lego blocks. <laughs> we do so much digital learning don't we do you think it sort of helps take gosh this amusing jargon now but sort of taking it from the abstract to the concrete you know if young Absolutely. children doing maths having things to measure things that are going to move yeah. does that engage children oh, makes with learning it makes
1: sense doesn't it you know because he's, he, he knows his numbers and he learns his numbers he can recite numbers up to yeah goodness knows what but actually being able to count one-to-one as you say using concrete resources pointing and actually physically moving something is a different is a different beast and I think you know giving them the opportunity to be outside doing that whether it's with stones or flowers or seeds or lego bricks bringing them outside um, absolutely it just cements all of that learning that they're doing in the classroom.
2: Any other ways that you can sneak math, science, speech, reading and writing into gardening activities?
1: Gosh, I mean, there's just so it's endless, really. Whatever you wanted to do, you can bring it outside and, you know, you can do this in a very set up way. Um, You know, you can have things like the, the labels, making labels, that sort of thing. And. Or you can let it be just an organic experience. I think just having children will find the learning. They'll come to you with questions. Children now, I won't even be teaching them. They'll come and find me and say, oh, I, f- I found this bug and I wasn't sure what it was. So I went and I got a book from the library and looked it up. And so that it's helping them engage with their own learning and lead their own learning. Um, I think the opportunities are absolutely endless. Um, and right up, right, you know, all ages, up to grown ups.
2: <laughs> so tell us... Um, We are going to be joined by Rowan.
1: So how old is Rowan? So Rowan's four, four and a half. And does he enjoy gardening? Oh, he does. He's definitely the most keen. I'm at that stage. I've got sort of two older ones and then Rowan is the most keen. He loves, I mean, we've just planted out our runner beans at the the weekend. Um, Yeah, he absolutely loves getting involved on the allotment and he loves cooking as well. So I think he's got that real full circle thing going on at the moment. He's picking things, bringing it indoors, making rhubarb crumbles and things. And he loves, he loves getting involved.
2: And tell us what he's going to be doing for us.
1: So he is going to be planting a, a, sowing a runner bean seed into a jar, uh, and what's good about that is that you can bring in lots of science so you can look at the roots as it grows, you know, up against the side of the clear glass of the jar, you can see the roots growing down which is brilliant, you can see the water going in so it's lots of uh, opportunity there to talk about how the plant needs water to grow um, and then again he'll get to watch it grow tall and refer to his favourite story, Jack and the Beanstalk <laughs> I'm sure we'll be hearing some giant talk later because he absolutely loves that story so yes, yeah, bringing that storytelling element in as well, that creativity so he's doing that and then he'll be looking for a daisy, he's going to go on a little <laughs> daisy hunt why a daisy daisies are actually super cool because they close up at night and open again with a new day which i think is great most people have got daisies around them whether it's in their garden or in a local park it's a really identifiable flower it's really important early food for lots of pollinators um i actually i love daisies i think they're fantastic <laughs> and you can make daisy chains from them when they're very abundant
2: so i'm holding a pebble here so he's going to use this it's got the word daisy written on it and it's got a painted mm-hmm. flower mm-hmm. So again, is that something quite concrete? And it's visual. It's not just the written word. It's a very absolutely. visual sort of um like
1: matching game. Yeah, absolutely. And it's that identification and that observation and taking a taking a moment to go, hang on, is this the same? You know, is this flower the same? And of course, you know, there lots of flowers look really similar in nature. So daisies are quite identifiable. But as you know, you can up level this by yeah. using all sorts of different flowers and getting older children involved. Um, I mean, I've made pebble labels with all sorts of ages of children. I think they're great. I think they're much more tactile than a piece of paper. They're really robust and actually afterwards you can leave them in the garden as a little marker to show where your flowers are growing.
2: Oh, I think it's lovely. Um I remember making sort of a mobiles with mm-hmm. leaves. Mm-hmm. So I think we laminated the leaves was yes. a long time ago. I'm not <laughs> sure I'd do that now, lots of plastic. Um and I'd written the name of the tree and hung it on the tree. Mm. And so the children had the leaves and then found the tree and mm. then connected we'd hole punched.
1: Makes it fun, doesn't
2: it? Yeah, hole- Attach the name to yeah, the leaf and, yeah. and they had something to take home. Yeah. I mean, do you think these are the sort of projects that sort of work well with kids, get some running around? Definitely,
1: definitely. It's something to hold, isn't it? Yeah. Something to make. You're bringing art into it, you're bringing literacy in, and yeah, then you've got all of that fun of running around trying to find these plants.
2: And it looks very pretty. It does. <laughs> so, I'm glad very you like my painting. Oh, it's lovely. <laughs> very excited to see what Rowan's going to do for us. Yes. And then, Amelie, how old is Amelie?
1: So, Amelie's 12. Um, and she's going to be making a little gift, so a little nasturtium in a in a tin in an old recycled tin, um, and she's going to be using some arts and craft materials to create a lovely yeah planted tin with a with a nasturtium growing in. Oh, that's lovely! And why did
2: you choose nasturtium?
1: Well, again, you know they're. At, from root to tip, basically. You know, they're really loads of fun. Even the flowers. Even the flowers, they? yeah, absolutely. And they look gorgeous on a salad. So it's a really good tip, actually. We always grow loads. And, you know, quite often they self-seed because the seeds go everywhere. Um, and you can also collect the seeds and use them as capers later on. If you've Gosh. ever done that, pick, you can pickle the seeds, which I've done before, um, and use them like capers. So they are a really useful plant to have in the garden. And
2: then she's going to be showing us a log pile, isn't Yes, she,
1: she is. And we were very excited because over the last few days we did discover a frog in our long grass, we're doing no May at the moment so we've got lots of long grass uh, long grassy areas in the garden at the moment Um, and actually I think we think of frogs and we think of ponds and the frog is now in the pond but actually long grass is really important for amphibians so I think it's getting children to understand that you know habitats vary and they need to vary for, for species they don't just want one thing so if you're going to put a pond have some long grass and have a log pile and you then you're sort of covering all all bases really for that animal to be able to have a full life cycle in your garden
2: it sounds like your garden is a classroom <laughs> well do you know that is a classroom isn't it
1: absolutely
2: here we are with four and a half year old rowan who is going to sow broad bean in a jam jar and show us one he grew earlier Jamie will talk through the process with him, encouraging him to put into words
1: what he is doing. What do we need to do first? What have we got in front of you?
0: A jar. A
1: jar. We're going to plant a bean in a jar because what can you see when you plant a bean in a jar? What can you see growing at the bottom? Root. Isn't it really interesting? And what did you spot as well? In your jar? Bean! The old bean. The old bean. Mm. And what grew out of your old bean, Rowan? What's up here? A
0: store.
1: <gasps> so Rowan is
2: showing us the jar that he planted up earlier. So it's got compost in it and it's got a bean and it's growing nicely. But are you going to do one from the beginning for us, Rowan?
1: Is that all right? And What's that?
0: Compost.
1: Compost going into your jar. Mmm. Oh, well done.
2: How much are you going to put in, Rowan?
0: No. <laughs>
1: Good job. Okay, do you think that might be enough for now, Row? We've got to have room to put your bean in, haven't we? Give it a That's little enough. shake. That's enough. Pop your spade back in there. Okay. What do we need to do next? Beans. <gasps> have we got any beans? Go on then. How many have you got? Two. Two beans. How many are you going to plant in your jar? Two. Are you going to put both in? It's good to have a spare, isn't it? Just in case one doesn't grow. Hey, Ro, if you pop one right at the edge, you might be able to see those roots grow again because that was fun, wasn't it?
2: Good. Tell me good what time. you're doing with your finger,
1: Rowan.
0: Popping it in.
1: <laughs> Cover Lots of concentration here. Well done. What do we need to do now, Ro? Water. Now, because you're planting in a jar, Rowan, we want to make sure we don't do too much water because there's nowhere for the water to drain away. Do you think they've had enough of a drink? Brilliant. Well done, Rowan.
2: So let's have another look at the one you did. When did, when did Rowan do this one?
1: Oh, this is a few weeks old now. Rowan, how's your bean doing that you planted? How's it doing? Good. Is it still really small? Is it? How tall do you think it is? That tall. Do you want to try and measure it maybe? What could Mm. we use to measure it?
2: Bricks. Oh, bricks. So Rowan has made a measuring rod out of his bricks. (laughs) One,
0: two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. And how
1: tall is it going to get?
0: Uh, Up to the sky?
1: What's going to happen when it reaches the clouds, Ray? What were you telling me about your bean? What story did it remind you of? You were telling me that when it gets super tall... Look at the beanstalk! Oh no, and what's, who's going to come and visit us in our garden if it keeps growing so tall? Giant! Oh no, what does the giant say? Three,
0: five, four, five, I try to run as the Englishman. Oh be no. Be he dead or be he Oh no.
1: How guide of birds to be my bread? Do you want to write a label, Rowan? Should we put a sticky label on your jar? So that everybody knows it's your jar. Now you can write the word bean, or you can write the word Rowan. What would you like to write on your label?
0: Um, Rowan. You'd like to write your name. Rowan. Well
1: done, Rowan. What a fantastic bean.
2: Having left the beanstalk for his giant to find, Rowan is ready to show us how he plays a matching game with his family to identify flowers in the garden.
1: So we've got a little pebble that we've made into a label. Um, I use pebbles for labels for all sorts of things in the vegetable garden, Um, great for labelling flowers around the garden as well, and we try to limit our use of plastic. So by painting on a pebble, it's fun, it's easy, and also it's a great way to save on plastic. What's that picture on this pebble? Uh, Daisy. Is
2: it a daisy? What colour
1: flower is it? White. Do you think you could find me some daisies? Do you want to take that pebble and walk around and see if you can find some matching flowers in the garden? Big ones. You want to find the big ones. Do you know where the big ones are? We'll follow you. Come on, then you lead the way. <laughs> That's lovely because
2: there are obviously there's the small daisies in the lawn, but he's got in his mind he wants to get, find Absolutely. his we've <laughs> <can> Always got <laughs> to find the biggest
1: and the best. Big daisy. Big daisies. So they look the same. Do you want to pop it down next to the plant? And then we'll know that that's our daisy patch, won't we? Later in the year, we'll we'll pop it down on the ground next to the daisies where they're growing. Good boy. Now everybody will know that that's where our daisies live. Rowan, what can you tell me about this flower? Um, Nectar.
2: So you're pointing right at the middle bit. What colour's that middle bit? Yellow! Yellow! And it's got nectar. Who likes the nectar? Bees. And how do they get it? What do bees do? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I
1: oh, was now being a bee for a lovely you. the
2: impression of a bee. Fabulous. So do you find sort of matching images to the flower quite nice at a younger age, a way to engage with identifying the plants?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, even with older children, as I say, pebble labels is something I've mm-hmm. done with sort of all all ages. Um, and in our sort of children's allotment at school, we find that actually children are, are asking, they're going to find resources and they're making labels for seeds that they've sown. So even, even the older mm-hmm. children too, but it's a great way to, to bring some literacy in as well.
2: Next, we're joined by 12-year-old Emily, who's showing us how she grows nasturtiums in old tin cans.
0: First, I put the compost in the tin and I fill it all the way up.
1: Beautiful. And what are you making, Ams? What's this going to be?
0: Nasturtiums. Going to
1: grow some nasturtium seeds in a tin?
0: Yeah. Then I poke three holes in it And I put
1: some seeds in. How many nasturtium seeds are you going to grow um, in your tin? Three. So So you're popping in the seeds.
0: Then I put more compost on top. And now I'm going to water it. I'm going to press it down.
1: Well done. Seeds like a nice firm base, don't they, to grow from?
0: Now I'm going to water it.
1: Now, we haven't put any drainage holes in this tin, have we, Am? So it doesn't need a lot of water.
0: Um, no. <laughs> That's fine.
1: <laughs> well done. Good. Okay. Now, how does your tin look? If you were giving this as a gift, oh, you've got wow. Nanny's birthday coming up, haven't you, in oh, a few I'm gonna weeks? Decorate.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to decorate it. What are you using? Oh, washi tape.
1: It's a great idea. So we've got some washi tapes, and you can also use paint, can't you? Yeah. We've made some beautiful little insect homes before out of tin cans, haven't we? And painted them to look like insects. So we've got a bee one, a ladybird um, and acrylic paints are great because they, they stay on the tin uh, in all kinds of weather.
2: So Amelie's taken an old tin, what was this, baked beans or something mm-hmm. like that? And the labels come off. Mm-hmm. Do you put it in boiling water or anything to sort of get the label off easily? Yeah, I
1: soak. You it a soak. And actually, oil's, oil's quite good for any sticky bits. If there's any sticky bits left over, putting then, on a little oil. And then help. you can make
2: holes, can't you, in the bottom if you want. But as you said, with fast-growing plants, they're not in there
1: for that long anyway, no. are and they? And then afterwards, we can then repurpose this and turn it into one of those insect homes that will hang up around the garden. And for those, I mean,
2: like myself, I'm not sure I'd necessarily know what washi tape is. It's very trendy, isn't it? Very cool.
1: Um <laughs> What what is washi tape? So washi tape is a decorative tape. It actually comes from Japan, I think, um, originally. It does, Amst, does it? Uh, And, yeah, it's a decorative tape, and it's used in a lot of journaling, um, so you can stick it on in your diary and your notepads, um, but it's also great for decorating.
2: So how are you doing this? Are you putting them anywhere, or how are you doing it?
0: I chose um, five different types, and now I'm just wrapping it around, and I chose my nan's favourite colours. Oh, that's lovely. And, and, and how do you... Oh, you're ripping it? Yeah, you just... You can... Usually with washi tape, you can just rip it, but if you want a cleaner edge, you can also cut it.
1: And that sticks nicely to the tin, doesn't it? It does. It does, absolutely. And actually, what's nice about these tapes, uh, the way that they're rippable, you can see they're not, they're not plastic. These are actually just paper-based. So, really good for the environment. The whole thing can be recycled afterwards. And,
2: um, Emily, t- tell me about this plant you're, that you're growing
0: well, nasturtiums are great because they're completely edible and you can eat the stem and the leaves and the roots as well, but they wouldn't taste very nice.
1: <laughs> the whole thing's edible. There's nothing poisonous. But what about the petals, Ams? What do we do with our salads in the summertime? We
0: put the nasturtium petals in our salads because it's kind of peppery and it tastes really nice. What's
2: been your favourite thing doing in the garden?
0: Trampoline.
1: typical what about growing is there anything you've grown? strawberries
2: you could put strawberries in tins like this as well couldn't you you You
1: absolutely could
2: divide some runners up or snip them off absolutely pop, pop them up that looks fabulous I think you've done a brilliant job there thank you Now we're heading down the garden to where Amelie and her mum have started piling up small pieces of wooden sticks, the start of a wildlife habitat log pile. It's next to a small pond which is surrounded by pots of plants ready to be planted in.
1: So we've got um, this sort of wildlife area at the back of our garden, in one of the corners and we've created a, a pond, haven't we, Ams? Yeah. Um, it was an old, an old pond line that we've repurposed in a corner of our garden and we wanted to make sure we had some habitat spaces around the edge because a pond is great but also all of the other habitat is important too. So what have we got around this pond, Ams? We've got loads of big rocks. What do you think would use the rocks? Oh, all the bugs and the insects,
0: they like under rocks yeah, and
1: stuff. Yeah, like hiding under there, don't they? And also lizards. I've seen lizards going in and out of these rocks. I love lizards. Like the pond on the allotment, we've seen lizards yeah. around those rocks, haven't we? Do you remember last yeah. last summer we saw lots of lizards around there? So we've brought some stones into our garden pond as well, some large... Oh, I think they're old Cotswold stone, actually. And then we've got some pebbles. What else have we got, Ams? Um?
0: We've got um, logs. So that we can make a big log pile because the insects and the bees and stuff also really like hiding in those. Do
1: you can actually see some of the holes, can't you, in that that's a really old log. You can see yeah. all the little holes in there that some sort of burrowing insects have made. And also of course, amphibians and reptiles. Yeah. Got loads of those, don't we? Yeah. They love hiding on, under the old under the old wood.
0: What's this all for, Emily? Um, we're all the sticks and the logs is so that we can pile them all up, and um, what well, all the insects will really like it. What do they do there? They um, don't they eat the logs?
1: Yeah, lots of woodlice love eating rotten, rotting wood, don't they? Yeah. Don't you want to try stacking some up, Ants?
0: So I'm just gonna put all the sticks and the logs on top of each other. That's a really big one. That is, isn't it? Can I break it in half? Yeah,
1: if you can, give it a twist, I think. Oh, well done.
0: So once they're all nicely stacked up, because you want them stacked up quite close together, so then it will be a tighter space for all of the insects because they like darker and more... um, squished together spaces. Mm.
1: And they sort of like, it's a bit of weather protection, isn't it? Because in the winter, they can hide under there to get away from the elements. And also in the summer, when it's burning hot and sunny, they can hide under there for a bit of shade, can't they? Yeah. So actually, all year round, a log pile is a really good resource for lots of different animals, isn't it?
0: And you can also put stones in and amongst the log pile because that's also really good to because it's heavier and stuff yeah
2: so looking at this lovely area so we've got this small sort of bit of pond liner and we've got some lovely pond water and um, some pond weed and bits of plants we've got your rocks around the edge what a lovely old rock here and then you've been putting together this log pile have you had much success in this wildlife corner we have a frog in
0: it.
1: And where did we find the frog?
0: In the grass. <laughs> and it was just hopping around, so we put it in the pond. So we it helped nice it, didn't we? we? Directed
1: it towards the pond, and it's been loving it ever since.
0: Can he he get out the pond if he wants? Yes, because there's a, a ramp that's in it, and the frog loves sitting on the edge of the ramp.
2: So it's a bit of old wood, isn't it? Just a rectangular bit of wood. A Ramp's important on wildlife ponds.
0: Yes, because... Um, Frogs can't breathe underwater that well, so they need to come up for air, and the ramp's easier to get up, so sometimes the frog will just sit on the edge of the ramp and catch its breath for a little while.
1: Absolutely, same with newts, isn't it? They come up for a breath of air. And things like hedgehogs, if you've got a hedgehog wandering around the garden, we want to make sure it can get out, don't we? We don't want to, because they can swim, but they get tired very quickly.
2: And what are these plants around here, Jamie?
1: So these, I popped to our local pond shop and I asked them for some species that could live around the pond margin. So they're not actually going into the pond. Mm-hmm. So around Amelie's log pile, I'm just going to dot some species of plants that will just live happily next to the pond and get flooded every, every now and then when we get um, heavy rain. But otherwise they'll live happily, happily out, out of the pond.
2: And Amelie, will you be helping mummy plant those plants? yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh I think it's wonderful Amelie it's really lovely to see you getting involved with your mum and your brother and your sister and all gardening together and uh, and even if you get a bit of trampoline time as well (laughs) thanks for listening to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts and never miss an episode if you've enjoyed this episode please tell others about it and rate us in your podcast provider app